What's going on, family? Welcome back to ABS Brothers. This is Jake Taylor Jacobs. And my name is Brother Ben X, and today we're going to be starting off where we ended. And today we're going to be discussing when and why did everybody start financing their house. Mm, it's going to be a good one, bro. You know, because you cut me off the last show, and uh, I was really finna go in. thought you was going to let me just go two hours on them to just, 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 just get it in, but you cut us off. Yeah, uh... You know, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said history is best qualified to reward us for our research. So, Brother Jake, I see over there got a lot of research <laughs> for us and going to be breaking this whole thing down because I'm pretty sure a lot of people, as y'all watch the show, think that, oh, they just have something against buying homes, maybe to promote their digital real estate. But that's not necessarily the case, which is why, you know, numbers don't lie, facts don't lie. So, Brother Jake is going to be breaking down the actual timeline today and the psychology of why people started to buy homes so hopefully you can understand and see uh and test uh your motive of why you even bought a home mm. because there's a lot of people who going to school going to colleges getting jobs and including buying homes not because they really want to but because they believe it's a part of the american dream is something that uh makes them actually successful one thing that i like that brother jake would ask when people we're buying homes is, is this a home that you really want or is this a home that you're going to sell in a couple of years? So why are you putting yourself in a 30-year mortgage and things of that nature if you know this is not truly a home that you really want? So my question to you today as you uh, listen to Brother Jake, the home that you plan on mortgaging, the home that you plan on borrowing six figures from the bank uh, for, um, do you really want to be there? And are you only there because you think this is the only thing you can afford at the current moment? And the last question is very important. Do you think this is a home that you really want to have? Or are you only getting this because you think this is all you can get at the current moment? Because if you change your mindset and you change your finances, you may find out this ain't a home that you want at all. So let's Get to the history. Hey, but but the crazy thing is, um, now that you now that you talk about that, I kind of want to touch back on um, that process with you twice, right? Um, and I and I the one thing I love about you and I love about us is that we because of you, you taught me how to live out loud on social media just for documentation purposes. And so you are taking people through the process uh, through documentation. Um, uh, brother Ben, when you were going to get the first house, when you moved back, um, when you moved to um, your in-laws, uh, one bed uh, in one of the rooms in their in their place, uh, because you were saving money, getting your credit right, so that you can get into that home. Mm -hmm. And then um, you and I met, and then you kind of start changing how you thought about that. And then just recently, you're about to buy you a little bit of a little mansion. Um, out in Dallas, well, I'm not going to say specifically where, but in Dallas, and uh, you backed out. Is there any way that uh, you can explain kind of your thought process and how maybe societal societal pressures um, even had you? Is it was you know was it societal pressures that had you feel like you needed to move now? Or what you know, kind of talk about your emotions during those times and why you backed out. Um. I don't think it was societal pressures per se. Mm -hmm. I think it was uh, my own internal reward that I wanted to give myself for working so hard. Um, I wanted a house that was big enough for me to be upstairs and be in peace. Um, 
when the children is run around having they fun because you know they deserve to have fun and yeah. run around. I want to give them that, but at the same time, I want to be in a position to when it is time for me to work, I can have a big enough big enough house to be on one side of the house and they on the other side of the house. Right. Um, but it was some things that I didn't consider uh, family wise. You know, my wife she she liked the inside of the house, but she of course wanted more land. Yeah. And we've been looking for some that has more land, but we just couldn't find nothing that had more land. So I just started to say, well, we'll just get this right now, and then we'll just, you know, sell it maybe later and get some later. Or once we get the other house, um, you know, what we could do is rent this one out. So I think, uh, like last time, I think me me actually having the resources rushed my decision making mm. so it's not that i you know i couldn't necessarily afford it because i definitely believe it could have been paid off within one year but uh i think with me knowing that it can be paid off in one year that too led me to pick something that i uh probably really knew i didn't want because yeah. i knew i could just pay it off yeah so on one end you know <clears throat> i didn't have the money so i settled for something that i really didn't want then now on this end i had the money so i was like well i might as well get it because i got it and then whatever decision that I want to make later, I can just figure that out um, at a later time. So I think for me, um, one thing that really got me outside of watching the Grant Cardone video and yeah. just, you know, listening to what you were saying about the homes, it was, am I in place? Do I have my life insurance in place? There was a move that we had to make uh, with, with an investment, uh, which if I would have got that home, I wouldn't have had the money. I probably would have had the money this month to do it, but I wouldn't have had the money at the time to be able to make the investment. So I just, you know, started to calculate, and then I start to look at, uh, you know, how young I, how, how young I actually am. I started to reflect on that um, as well because, you know, I find myself, as I was saying on a previous episode, around a lot of older people, a lot of a lot of my friends, a lot of my mentors are much much older people. And they are in a lane where, you know, they've been working for a long time. But because I've been working for a long time as well, since the age of, you know, 14 and 15, I got 10 years in the game, just like somebody who's 40 may have 10 years of the game. So, you know, when I'm looking at them finally starting to reap their benefits, you know, I, I, I look like, man, it's time for me to start reaping some benefits. I done, you know, lost sleep. I done, you know, been been stressed out and depressed mentally and all these yeah. type of things trying to help other people so it was just something that i wanted to reward myself with but finding out maybe this is too early because if i'm gonna drop a big bat like that i might as well get what i really want i really want a gym in a house i really want everything to where i don't even have to leave the home for my entertainment i want the studio so i didn't have that necessarily there i did have the space that i wanted but I didn't have everything that I really wanted inside the house. So to put that much down on the house and really pay that house off uh, within a year really just didn't make any sense. I really enjoyed um, the stretching of your processing and processing that, right? Because typically when people make this a large, people downplay how big of a large purchase, you know, starting the buying process of a home or land, like, and it's very scary how people just, it's like a, because it's not, you know, the fact that majority of people don't use their money, it's like the bank's money. So you just get whatever you get. And then we don't realize how much we are making such a large purchase in settling at the same time. Like, and I really enjoyed you processing that. I remember going to the house and just 
looking like, okay, you know, all right, little bro, wanna you wanna move here? Okay, and I remember asking you, uh, you sure? You know, you you sure you want? You like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. You know, it was grand, it was, um, and there was no doubt that you could afford it, but you know, I I didn't want you to forget how large of a purchase that is. And if you're going to make the sacrifices that you've made and you've saved the money that you saved and you had the discipline that you've had and um and the work ethic that you put in, you got to think about how large of a purchase that is and ask yourself, am I getting everything I want? Because you're pretty much what people fail to forget. For, we forget, and Chris talks about this all the time, is that money is the exchange of energy. And so you've had to work in order to accumulate that income or that money. And so when you think about purchasing something like that, you've literally traded time that you've got back energetically through through monetary gain. And you're purchasing that home with all the time that you spent prior to building that wealth. So when I think about making any purchase, I want to make sure that whatever purchase I'm making, I feel like it was worth that time that I spent, you know, when I see people, you know, um, getting a three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar home, and it's just like a makeshift home. It's just like, you know, it's average, it's oversold, but they just want to be in the house. And I'm thinking, like, dang, like that'd take somebody on average seven years of their life for a house that they settled for. Like, how can you, for me, how can you truly? say that you know you're going out here and getting everything that God has for you in one of the largest purchases any of us ever make in our life we settle and this is why this is why I spend so much time really talking on the housing issue because um I want to kind of start breaking paradigms so that we can start thinking for ourselves is having a house and a roof over your head important yes is having a stake in the ground something that you can control important yes but the name of the game, we have to understand, even though I just went and purchased uh, an acre and a half, a very, 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 very nice neighborhood. I used to drive through as a child um, thinking I would never be able to go live there. Acre and a half, my wife and I are going to build from scratch, but we're not looking at that land like an investment. We're not looking at that land like an equity. It's a large-ass purchase. That's what it is. I didn't when I, when I, when I buy my clothes or my shoes or anything that I wear, I don't buy it as an investment. Um, it's good to understand its monetary value, but if you don't ever have any plans on selling it, you know, um, the equity or the monetary value for it means nothing if, you just, if you're going to use it. And so uh, when it comes to, like, purchasing this land and stuff, we all have to understand, like, in truth, the hardest thing for people to realize and recognize is that in this life, we don't really own anything. Mm. Anything that somebody can come and confiscate from you is not yours. Um, so imagine... Imagine, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna teach I'm gonna teach everybody how to if you have to use a mortgage, what steps to go through, in order to ensure that you're not getting screwed over, um, and how to really work with the bank and how to negotiate with the bank on your terms. Even though I don't, I'm not gonna do it. Um, there are people who who um, have to go through that process, and I understand that. So we're gonna talk about that. But the biggest thing I want people to realize we have so much ego and pride about ownership. When the stuff that we're claiming that we own, we don't even own. Like, like, take take the land for an example. You build a house, you build a house, and you do a promissory note on the home, 
to build the home so the builders so the bank pays the builders then you get a mortgage put on that promissory note that that claims access to your asset so now this is an asset that is yours that you have to pay this promissory note back to the bank that has a mortgage lien on it so not only do you have pay, have to pay taxes to the true ruler and owner of the land which is america um you have to pay taxes every year you also have to pay mortgage back to the banking system and you're claiming that you own it like you have controllership over it you have the paperwork for it but you don't own it because anything somebody can come and take from you if you stopped payment will show you proof that you don't own anything and when you look at it in that aspect we maybe we can begin to make better decisions when it comes to moving versus not moving fast or slow because at the end of the day, people talk about rent all the time, Brother Ben. But when you purchase land, you're going to be renting from the government for the rest of your life. Like, like, you're going to be renting from the government for the rest of your life. Meaning, you say the house that me and my wife are building, the house that me and my wife are building, um, uh, an acre and a half uh, uh, we have in a very, very prominent neighborhood. Um, we're going to build on top of that debt-free, and um, we're building it in phases, right? It'll be done by the end of the year, beginning of next year, and we have milestones, like, you know, we have to pay along the way. But if my wife and I bought the land, it's the title's in our name, we paid off the house, clear and free, uh, uh, so without using debt, if me and my wife decided to go on a hiatus and not pay taxes anymore on the land, feeling like we own it, the government will come and shut down that land faster than you can say uh, shut down mm. because the true owner of the property has has all rights, um, have all the rights in the world to come and take back claim or take back ownership over something if you do not pay your just due. And the bigger the land, the more prominent the environment, um, uh, the more prominent the environment, the higher the taxes typically are. So when you're talking about paying rent, like we all are going to be paying rent for a long time. And home ownership didn't even didn't even really uh, become anything until the 1860s. Before then, the only people that had land were people who actually made money from the land because it made sense for farmers to actually have land because they were actually producing uh, products that we were using. And it made sense to pay taxes to the government for the land that you had because you were making money from that land. Okay, stop right there. Uh, so the reason that I was on my phone, for everybody who's watching and listening, is because I was looking up an article um, from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, and this is one of the processes that I was going through um, when I was looking to justify the home. So... When I was going to get the home, I was looking through Mr. The Black Man. I was looking through Final Call. I was looking through videos trying to see where he talked about home ownership. And I know he talked about buying land and the, and the uh, value of ownership. So I was looking for it. I was trying to find it. So what I did find was actually what you just said. Every mention of buying land and the value of land was to produce something for the people. It was growing food. It was bricks. It was all these different things. So let me read this article for y'all because this is one of the articles that I ran into. It says, therefore, our enemies are allowed to take. Well, let me start up here. 
the value of land. Yeah, yeah. In the last 10 years, black people in America have lost over 5 million acres of land through fraudulent tax schemes, ignorance, and negligence. Many black brothers and sisters have relatives in the South who have land. However, despite having the education necessary to aid them, many of you will not secure the land for your mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and grandfathers. Therefore, our enemies are allowed to take the land back from them, thus making you and me totally dependent upon them for substance. Take the responsibility of making sure the taxes are paid so that the land will stay in the hands of your family. Do not be so quick to sell the land for a few quickly declining dollars. We must hold on to our land for as the dollar loses its value, the earth becomes more valuable. If that land can produce corn or wheat, it will be far more valuable to us in a few days than all the dollar bills you can manage to accumulate. Look at the land in Georgia. Why do we not buy some of it to build kilns? What's that word? K-I-L-N-S. Kilns? <laughs> kilns. Make bricks and construct our own homes. Cannot we cut down trees and turn these trees into lumber and build homes for ourselves while the dollar still has a little value? Let us purchase as much productive land as possible for the earth will never lose its value if taken care of and properly cultivated. So when I read that and I hear the minister talk about the value of land on Savior's Days, it never was necessarily you have a bunch of land for your family to eat on itself. It wasn't for you to just have your one acre and then, you know, you just got you one acre land just to say, I own some of this 57 million. 255,000 square miles of land. That's not what it was for. It was always so that we can come together, so that we can build something, so that we can produce something, have something of our own. And in fact, in Mr. the Black Man, I believe it says, you grow food for yourself and then you sell the excess foods, meaning that you have enough land so that you can produce enough food, not just for yourself, but for the community and for your nation as well. So to just buy a big home or just to have some land just for yourself, um, it doesn't make sense, especially if you don't have enough assets and enough money to be able to afford it. So if you got the bread and you want to live in a nice home, fine. But that doesn't mean going to debt to have this home. Don't mean going to debt just to have some land, just to say you own some land, but it's not producing anything. Yeah. Yes, get the land, but it makes sense to pay the taxes on it when you're making money from it. That's what makes sense. And um, it's just it's just crazy because... I know somebody's probably asking right now, but how do I get the land? I ain't got the money to do it. And that is the that is that is the essence of of what we have been trying to teach the entire time. We have more focus on purchasing a house or securing land than we actually have in learning skill sets that raises our value in a marketplace to making more money so that we can because before uh, in the 1800s most people had no way to even afford a home and in purchasing homes in large scale didn't happen brother Ben until the 1930s bro after the depression matter of fact let me give you all a fun fact the federal reserve who controls all of our resources it didn't come into effect until 1913 the great depression happened 16 years later it takes a decade for um, a new function to be accepted, it takes a decade for it to be accepted in our society and the government. 
I I would like to say I do not find it ironic that 1913, the Federal Reserve was put into play to control our money, which is a private institution who creates prints and uh, controls inflation and deflation of the dollar. That literally 13 years later, all of a sudden we have a Great Depression from 1929 to 1933. After 1933, the Federal Reserve now has full control of the government, which is a private institution controlled by um, uh, um, big families who actually control all of the banks in the world. Go figure, right? Mm. And after that, the next function of play was that now from 1933 to 1940, it was the largest home ownership run at that time. And they and now the housing market is the stabilizer for all of America. Why? Because the housing market is dependent upon a mortgaging system. The banking system uh, didn't really start lending to average people until the 1860s. They kind of tried it out with the National Bank Act. And then after the 1860s, they realized it didn't work and they were trying to stabilize it. When the Federal Reserve got put into real action after the after the uh, the Great Depression and the money stopped being backed by assets. Our dollar bills used to be backed by assets when they were when they were United States Treasury um, notes. They were backed by silver and gold after the Great Depression. They crushed all the dollars. They confiscated all of the gold. And then took all of the money and made it not backed by gold or silver. Now they're debt notes that the Federal Reserve now control. Then all of a sudden the Federal Reserve comes out in 1934 with the Federal Housing Administration where they give you uh, a grants so that you can invest into your home or get in. They got grants with the Homeowners Loan Corporation where in Fannie Mae Federal National Mortgage um, Association where you can even get into a house with zero down mm. like i find it ironic that it was after that it was after the federal reserve got control of the united states that all of a sudden now there's all these mortgage uh these mortgage provisions and mortgage grants and all of these things that are now in the play that now the marking industry is now the primary focal point to the stabilization of america why because America and all of the all of the uh, countries in the world are controlled by the banks, the World Financial Bank, uh, the the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is nothing but a bank cartel, and a bank cartel is a, a combination of all of the larger banking families that come together, and they control the monetary systems in these countries. So when you look at that, you go from it made sense for people to rent and to stay in a housing that somebody else owned because they were making money off of it. And it made sense to uh, to actually just pay for your stay. It's just like paying for food or clothes, right? You just pay to be able to live, to be able to do whatever. And then the land was owned by the people who owned the farms. Now, all of a sudden, there's this mortgage, uh, this, this real estate boom. And this is when you've seen people go from the city going into the rural, rural areas. And so when you look at that, you begin to look at the history of this, the GI Bill in 1944 um, provided subsidized mortgage for a World War II veterans, and that changed the face of housing in the uh, in the industry of American history forever. Because you had people leaving World War II, coming back home, being able to tap into a GI Bill to be able to get into a home, where then you're going to be everybody's getting locked into a 30-year mortgage. Hmm. A 30-year mortgage. You get locked into a 30-year mortgage. And so when you look at 
how this system is played, the 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 mortgage, I mean the uh, the promissory note that you we'll, we'll just say mortgage, the mortgage because everybody doesn't understand, the mortgage was literally the greatest play that the banks could ever do. Now you have an entire ecosystem where the stability of uh, of the eco- economy is built on you having to borrow money from the bank, which stabilizes the bank, which stabilizes the economy. Let me let me ask you this: um, What if somebody said mortgage is the same as renting because well? They say that having a mortgage is cheaper than having a rent, but you you broke down all of the insurance and maintenance to show that it's yeah. not. But let's say somebody said, well, I only plan on getting this mortgage because I like this house, mm-hmm. but I'm going to stay here 10 years. And then instead of me being locked in to the 30-year mortgage, I'll just sell it. So the same way that you can move out of your home renting, I can just sell my home and move. What would, what would be your response to that? Um, a lot of people use their house as a forced savings. But there are too many. There are too many things that are factors that people don't pay attention to, right? So if I were to use my my home or, or a mortgage or a home as a forced savings, where I put my money into this property because I know at some point in time I can sell and get my money back and then move to another property, right? Because that's what a lot of people do. It depends on when you want to move. Is it a buyer's or seller's market? Because the value of your property could go up or go down depending on the demand of it. Then it also depends on did you uh, in order to keep up with the um, the uh, to order to keep this for savings up with the purchasing power of the day ten years you got to you got to make um, uh, renovations in your house in order for it to even keep up with the cost of you know with the um, cost of living increase uh, in ten years which means that you have more money that you can sell it for then you got to then you got to think about um, when you want to get out the house not only does somebody want to buy it. But is it the right time to even sell the house? Like there are too many, there are too many um, variables that are that are needed to play in order for somebody to use their house as a forced savings. What if you have a bunch of people that move into your neighborhood and you can't control that? That takes the the, the value of your house down. That happens to neighborhoods time and time again. You have people, black, white, Puerto Rican, Asian, that move into a neighborhood, don't know how to take care of it. The value of the house, the homes go down, and then guess what? The house that you that you thought was growing in savings and value is now diminishing at, in front of your eyes. So so when you talk about using the house as a for savings, I just do not personally believe that that um, that is the best and only way to do that. And I don't compare it to rent because when you're renting a when you're renting a property like like I mean, if we just were to cut the chase, like a house that you live in. It's no better than a place that you're renting in. Like it's it's no different. The problem that we have is not the housing versus the rent issue. The problem that we have is that there's there's no increase in value that people are bringing to society. This is the biggest thing that we're missing. What are you doing with your surplus income? What are you doing with your surplus income that you will be able to uh, uh, grow true wealth uh, for you making that decision? My parents, give an example. My parents. Lived in the house. They got the house, whatever. Yeah, boom, this is great for family. Or my granny paid off her house, living in it, whatever. But if you don't don't move from it or if you want to move in 10 years, and then guess what? Your financial situation never changed because you never increased your value. So you're making the same money, still struggling to meet check to check. 
You you couldn't even put 20% down on the property. So you live in check to check. Most people, uh, most people within a five-year period don't pay their mortgage at least four or five times within a five-year period. So that just means that we're, we're barely making ends meet. And so you're telling me in 10 years, all of a sudden things are going to change. I, I just I just think not. I just think not, bro. And so I just think that there are better ways for us to be able to maneuver. However, if you do find yourself where you have a deal that you can't refuse when it comes to land that you're purchasing, I just say stop looking at land or houses that you're going to live in on land that you're going to use for personal use. Stop you. Stop thinking of those as investment vehicles. They are not investment vehicles. These are place of accommodations for your dormitory, for, for you to stay, for you to live, for you to dwell. Um, and that is just a cost of living. That is not an investment. You being able to get out of it, some type of money back should be icing on the cake. But that shouldn't be your first mind going in. If you want to get into real estate and make money off of properties, then it makes sense to possibly service a debt. Then it makes sense to possibly pay taxes for this property and this crazy buku amount of land that you're getting because you're going to be receiving some type of money from it. And you're talking about somebody, um, for me, that I've said what I've said and I've stood on what I said and I've done what I said. I told everybody the very first thing that you need to be focusing on is purchasing the land first. And how you find the land is you look at the community. What community would you would you uh, best like your family to live in? A secluded a community, a community that has a lot of um, land and houses and spacing, a tight community. Like what what type of community would you like? Research that community. What price points are you willing to pay? And then when you look at the land, how much land are you willing to have, manage, and all these things is going to be important for your livelihood and comfortability. Once you purchase the land, then you start talking about building. My wife and I didn't ever talk about the rendering of a house until we purchased the land. Because you're looking at a house that may take, uh, that may be four or 5,000 square feet, and you don't even know what your land going to be. It's, it's crazy. So you, you purchase the land first, and when you purchase the land, um, you can purchase the land outright. And then you don't have, especially in mo uh, um, HOA areas, HOA areas that may, may put a time limit on when you need to hurry up and start building. But in most environments, you can buy land and just sit on the land until you're ready to start building. So my wife and I, of course, we're going to start building immediately. But for my wife and I, because we don't finance, we're literally building the house out in phases. And when you talk and work with a builder, you talk and work with a designer that knows contractors, that know builders, you can actually build your house out in phases. So you can start. And I, uh, I got a, I got an um, old friend of mine uh, whose mentor, extremely wealthy uh, black man in Houston, it took him five years to build his house. It was a $5 million house. He spent a million a year, and he built out his house in phases. Took him five years to do it, and he rented the whole entire time. Mm. Why is that important? Because he understood, why would I go and finance a mortgage when I can just take the time to just, just be patient and build it out? Some other people may say, well, if he was going to do that anyway, why didn't he just get a mortgage, had a house built? And then move in because some people live by different principles that make sense. I'm not about to make the bank no more more richer if I can just be patient and do the build out. So he had a five year build. No, it was a, a three and a half year build out, five million dollars, and he literally built it step by step, brick by brick, which is what inspired me. Get the land first, and then you can talk to the builders and talk about phases and build outs on that. And then they may say the first the first month it may be first month uh, payment when they get started maybe a hundred thousand dollars. Or for a smaller house, it may be 
$30,000, say $30,000, $40,000, you get the framework up. Then they'll tell you, well, the framework can only be up. Um, uh, they'll tell you the perfect weather that the framework can only be up. And they'll say the framework can be up maybe three and a half, four months. And then we'll need another $50,000. Then you can kind of do the same thing. You can build out your house that way. But there are plenty of ways for people to maneuver. We just got to be a lot more patient. And the biggest thing that I want people to understand is that when you're talking about using a bank, a mortgage, and a property, um, or putting a mortgage on a property, on a debt that's on a property, it's just weighing out your options and really asking yourself, am I really doing this for my gain? The only time I honestly feel like somebody should get into debt or work with a bank and using um, uh, their finances to make a purchase on a potential asset of yours for you to control is for leverage business buyouts and for real estate. Like the, That's the only thing I can, in my mind, for real estate that you're making money on, that you would be servicing a debt and potentially um, and potentially uh, renting it out. And then what a leverage buyout is, a leverage buyout is when you find an undervalued company and say they, they're worth $2 million, but the owners want $600,000 to buy them out. You can go to the bank and say if you can't get $600,000 from the bank. It's easier to, I would much rather go to a bank that doesn't want equity than to deal with people that I don't want I don't want them to ever have ownership in my business. And you can go to a bank or you can go to a private lender and get money, buy that company out because you know they're doing two million, let that company pay that asset. That's the only thing I can kind of think about like using debt um uh that can best benefit. I just but I just want people to kind of start reassessing what's important and really looking at our lives because I know some people are thinking, Brother Ben, well, what if I rent? If I'm renting, that's money that could be going to the mortgage. If that's money that can be going to the mortgage, then I could be um, buying down my house. No, it's not. The first 15 years of any mortgage, 30-year mortgage, is only interest. Only 10 only ten to 15% of your actual mortgage payment goes towards your um, goes towards your, um, principal. your principal. So if that's the case, right, and I did the same numbers, if I'm live renting and then I can save... 15 to 20% of the income that I make and I can start investing that in the market, putting it in a private bank or, or you know, a trading it or putting in some type of fund. By the time I finish uh, living in a rent house seven, eight years or a rent apartment seven, eight years, that money could have been compounding the entire time in some type of investment account. And I could take that investment and go purchase my house without ever having to entertain a bank. And so when you think about it, if the first 15 years of any mortgage, um, uh, 80% of 80% of the money goes toward financing your, your interest, that means only 20% of your mortgage, your, the money that you pay actually went to the mortgage. Well, if you were to be renting and take 20% of your take-home income and then invest that into the market and understand, really learn trading, learning how to grow your money, how to take advantage of value-based investing, by the time you look up seven, eight years later, you can purchase your house, which is what we did with ABS. Right. We took all the extra access cash that we could and we dumped it right back into the company. ABS was my stock. And lo and behold, five years later, we rented for four. Five years later, now we're able to purchase land and purchase our house uh, outright cash because of that principle, which is why I tell people it works because I physically did it. The company I just used was my company. Mm. And before we go and close out with some income streams, a couple ways for you guys to get the money to be able to build up to buy your land, whatever the case may be. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. Join our BWO program. Be back to you soon. Uh, 
Well, I'm glad I don't have to do stuff like that no more. That's the type of job I used to have. Working with machines, working with physical labor. Now I make money off using my mind. You ever thought about AT&T, your insurance bill and your light bill? You pay that bill on a monthly basis. So yeah, your light bill may be $60 or $90, $100, whatever the case may be. But imagine that same company is getting paid off for hundreds of thousands of people. If you had a product for $50 and you sold it to a thousand people every month for $50, that's $50,000 a month. I want to help you all develop different products, different services to make money anywhere online as long as you got signal and Wi-Fi. If you click the link below, I've developed an ebook. It's called 50 Ways to Make Money Online. I want to help you out. See you on the other side. What's going on, family? Ramadan has definitely caught Brother Ben's ex's tongue. This is our ninth time trying to come back from a commercial. So we're just going to get started, Brother Ben, on the 50 ways because they say, okay, Jake, we talk about the mortgage and we talk about this. We talk about all this. You're talking about all these things about not utilizing a bank. So what am I supposed to do? And um, that's one of the biggest problems that we wanted to solve when you and I started teaching private banking blueprint to all of the audience and platform that you had. Okay, what is this way to make money? Mm -hmm. And then digital real estate was born and you began to teach people many a multitude of different ways for people to make money in today's time. So um, let's just talk about like, like how can somebody use the online digital real estate world to purchase real estate, physical property, so they don't have to get into debt? Well, that's kind of broad, but uh, I would say first, since it is broad, you have to find out what your uh, specific purpose is, what your gift, skill, or talent is. I think a lot of times online, there are so many ways, there's more than 50 ways to make money online, although we got an ebook, 50 ways to make money online, that people chase the money without chasing the God within. And this is what I mean by that. I believe all of us have a gift that we was born with, something that we naturally do uh, without a lot of effort. And when you look at a gift, Christmas gift for those who still celebrate Christmas, anniversary gifts, whatever the case may be, it's something that you give somebody without receiving good payment. So when I think about somebody's gift, what are you already giving to the world naturally without being paid for? Oh, that's good. For me, it was basketball. For me, it was doing videos, making skits. For me, it was editing. If somebody pays me or not, that's what Brother Ben X is going to be doing on a daily or weekly basis. So now the next step is how do I monetize that? Because if I don't locate my gift, the moment I get into stocks, just because I hear everybody making money with stocks, the moment my stock goes down 20%, I'm out because my expectation is just making some money. So my heart is not going to be in it. And because my heart is not in it, meaning I don't love it because I don't have the love, I won't have the patience. See, if I love stocks, if I love crypto, if I love that way of doing it, not saying you love the stock per se, but if you love that method, that's your lane. When it goes down, you're comfortable, you're patient, and you're going to do more research to figure out how can I make this particular thing happen. Um, but if it's not something that you're interested in, the moment that your money goes away, you're going to go away from it. So the goal is to find out what you love, find out what you're going to stick to, find out what you're going to put the work in and study and find out how you can actually monetize it. So I'm going to give you one way and then I'm going to let you go. So let's say for myself, myself, I created skits myself. I just made videos, speaking, speaking my mind, giving my opinion, giving my commentary. That's what I was already doing before I monetized my YouTube. Then I, then I noticed that I was able to be monetized after a certain amount of followers, after a certain amount of views. 
So now my word that I naturally was speaking, my perspective that I was naturally given, I monetize it. How, Brother Ben? Well, the way that you monetize it is what like is monetize, it, Brother Ben. And what monetize mean basically you get paid for it. You you're you're getting income, you're getting paid for what you're naturally already doing. So one thing you think about when you're watching Martin or Fresh Prince, right when it's about to get good, a commercial comes up. What's happening? That network that's that's uh broadcasting this show is getting paid for the amount of viewers that's watching this video. So the first way to get paid on YouTube or the first way that I got paid on YouTube was I started to grow in following. I started to grow in subscribers. I started to grow in views. So what that means is if I got a thousand people watching me, well, they're going to be paying me. Mm, let's say they got a CPM of two to five dollars. What does CPM mean? CPM means that you're going to get paid per thousand views. So every thousand views, I get paid two dollars. Wait, 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 wait. So for every thousand views that people were watching of your content on commentary, on your opinion from something that you've seen or or something that's happening, they were paying you $2 for every thousand views? Yep, 2 to $5. So it depends on what your CPM is based on what type of content that you make. You make business content, a lot of clean content, not controversial. Your CPM could actually go up depending on if it's family-friendly, things of that nature. So you're actually getting paid to share because now eyeballs are valuable to marketers. Why? Because if I have a business, right, I need more people to see it in order for my business sales to go up. So I'm willing to pay somebody who can attract the viewers for me, and then I'm just going to interrupt that show or interrupt your audience and put my message or put my business in front of them. So that's the first way for you to get monetized now, on YouTube by getting a lot of views. Now let me ask you this, Brother Ben, because you're talking about monetizing or making money off your, off your gift. Um, how can somebody decipher their gift, something that they naturally want to do, whether they get paid for it or not, versus a hobby? Because I see a lot of people try to get into their hobby, and they're not successful at you know making money or monetizing off their hobby. And how can someone decipher between their gift and their hobby, or is it the same thing? Um, it could be the same thing. So for me, before. When I was in basketball, it was my hobby and it was my gift. Videos for me is my hobby and my gift. So I think what people are struggling with is not necessarily deciphering their gift from their hobby. It's, it's learning how to actually just monetize your hobby. Yeah. So if you're somebody who likes to create strawberries, create strawberries with a camera in front of you. And show people how to create those or make those strawberries, dip it in chocolate or put sprinkles on it, whatever the case may be. If you're somebody who likes chopping wood, I guarantee you there's somebody online around the world who would like to know, how do I chop wood? Now, to you, that's just what you like to do for exercise. That's just like what you that's what you like to do to just go to your farm or go to your land, and that's how you clear your mind, by chopping wood. But if you could get creative on how you chop wood, if you could get creative and say, well, today I'm not just going to chop wood. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy different, uh, what you call them, axes. Mm -hmm. See, I'm going to go out and buy different axes today, and I'm going to see how easy it is for me to chop wood with this axe, then with this axe, then with this axe. And see, what you're doing is, number one, you're getting paid from the views because there's somebody around the world that wants to see how to chop wood. So you can be talking about how to chop wood. Then here comes number two. Now you can get sponsors. So instead of you going out to buy those different axes, somebody who got an axe company said, well, dang. I said, you're getting thousands of views. I will sponsor you, okay, 
I will sponsor you an ax. That means you no longer have to pay for the ax, and I'm going to give you a discount code. Now here comes affiliate marketing. So now you're getting sponsored the axes. Now here comes affiliate marketing, meaning I'm, this ax is called the, the X2 ax. Boom. If you want to get this ax, they're showing you how quick, how easy it is to chop this wood. If you want to get this one, click the link in my bio. Now you're getting 30% of everybody that's going to buy this particular ax that you just chop wood with. So your first stream of income is the views that's increasing. Your second stream of income is the amount of affiliate, uh, uh, the affiliate money that's going in from people that's watching. Then where, where number three coming from? Now you're going to say, Jake, what else would be needed? Or uh, what else would somebody who's interested in chopping wood, what else would a person like this need? What uh, kind of person is this who's chopping wood? Uh, probably somebody who... Uh you said what type of person? Yeah, so somebody who needs to act, somebody who's chopping probably like wood, an outdoorsy of- type of person. So they're probably gonna need uh, some 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 sun lotion, uh, tan. They're gonna need some goggles uh, for a little protection hat or something, uh, steel toe boots, uh, gloves, um, and uh, yeah. That's- so check this out. So not only so y'all heard that. Keep that in mind. So the principle here is, as you're doing what you do. Find somebody who can sponsor what you already use, right? And then what you want to do, you want to figure out my audience who's watching this, what else do they need? So that's why I asked Jake this question. So they also need boots. They also need gloves. They also need goggles. They also need this. They need that. So what I'm going to say is, well, I got I got the leverage. I got the eyeballs. So not only am I going to get paid from YouTube automatically putting uh, YouTube ads on my uh on my videos now i get a percentage of that youtube get their percentage i get my percentage so i know whatever i'm getting paid youtube getting paid either half or a little bit more than that maybe then i'm gonna get paid from the affiliate marketing then i'm gonna go out and get my own sponsorships i'm gonna go out and get my own advertising so i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna reach out to, to a goggle company i'm gonna reach out to a glove company and i'm gonna say hey uh i'm getting about ten thousand views per week and, uh, man, they loving it, man. The engagement is high. The likes is high. Man, I'm getting a lot of traffic. Uh, I'm willing to charge you, uh, you know, $500 a month, and you can advertise in front of my video. Matter of fact, if you want to pay a little bit more, I'll actually say your company, I'll recommend your company verbally on the video. Would you be willing to do business with me? Man, absolutely. Now you got one stream of income from YouTube monetization. You got two coming in from the affiliate marketing. You got the sponsorship coming in from those who allow you to uh, use the axis and then number four you got your own sponsorship that your or your own ad money that you have went and got on your own because of your audience needing other things so that's you know the youtube side of things but brother ben man i just i just don't like cameras man i just i just don't want to make money making content so that means that i can't make money online absolutely not uh we actually have a page called men's viewpoint four brothers including myself who did $67,000 in one month uh, on Facebook alone. And they didn't create no content. What I call it is curating content. So you can't always just go snatch a video down and repost it, although sometimes you can. But what I show them how to do is look at what's going on in the world. Wait, Brother Ben, you said how much? 67000 From taking videos somebody else had and then putting it on their page? Repurposing it. Repurposing it? Yep. Curating content. 
So you can give your commentary just like CNN does. You can give your commentary just like Fox News does. So you can create your own network. Your own network. You can give your commentary just like ESPN does. So if you want to talk, take some highlights, and if you repurpose it and you're teaching it, it's under fair, fair use. You're delivering news. It's a current event, and you're giving your commentary. So that's why I said you can't always just take it down oh, and, repurpose. And, 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 and throw yeah. it up there because you got to add your commentary on it. That's what'll make it news. So now, if you take a video and you add the words at the top and the bottom, now that's manipulating the video. It's a new piece of content that you put on it, and then you throw your little two cents on there at the end. Even if you don't want to be on camera, you can put your voice on there. And the and the the, the page that did the sixty-seven thousand dollars in one month, they didn't even add commentary to it. All they did was snatch the video from Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, add the words at the top and the bottom it up on the YouTube channel and because Facebook yeah I mean on the Facebook channel and because they have grown a page called men's viewpoint it's it's broad it can be a viewpoint on sports it can be a viewpoint on comedy it can be a viewpoint on whatever and it began to gain traction man and it got millions of views almost every video at that point each video did a minimum two thousand dollars per video and shoot, man, we had so many videos going up, got to 67,000 in one month. Man, uh, Brother Ben, it reminds me of that guy. Uh, he blew up on Facebook um, that played Madden. And he be sweating. And, and he act like he uh, hiking the football. And he be talking to the players like, like he actually talking to players. And that showed me how something that was fun, a hobby, playing sports, literally turned into a platform for him to uh, be seen, you know, e for esports and all of that, or just entertainment from him just playing in his own living room. Now, now think about this. I'm gonna give you two two income two sides of that. With with Chibata, now Chibata, I think that's his name. How you say his name? He can go out and get sponsorships now as well. If you notice when he's doing his football thing, when he's about to do a certain t when he about to get a touchdown or he's doing good, he'll rip the shirt, ah, tie the shirt around his head. Well, while he's playing the football game, you know, sometimes, most of the time, he have his shirt off. But when he got his shirt on, that could be your shirt that he got on. When he has the shorts on, that can be your shorts that he got on, and he can link them to the description, and he can charge you for that. Or you could be like the person who's paying for the YouTube ads. You can pay him. Hey, wear my shirt. Hey, when you do the bandana thing, when you tapping into a new character, put my bandana on and then link it into the bio, now I don't have to create the videos. I don't have to have the personality. I ain't got to scream like he does and get the people to watch me like he does. But if I'm just able to partnership with you, have him put on my headband, now without me creating a video, I can get traction on my website from somebody else who do got the views. Because when I see social media, Brother Ben, and you've taught me this, using social media technology, understanding digital real estate, Social media is the new network. It's the new medium directly connected to the people, as the newspaper at one time used to be, as the radio used to be, and as, you know, everybody wants to get a commercial uh, in the middle of a TV show. So you're saying that if I don't want to create uh, content myself, I can find many influencers, many content creators, find a way to partner with them, get my, get my uh, products in their hands where they're regularly talking about it, compensating or partnering with them, and then um, that's the way I can be able to make money online? Absolutely. That's called influencer marketing. And, and I'm going to just leave, leave you to do your own research on this. Kim Kardashian makes millions of dollars off making one post. Same with Cardi B. Same with anybody else who has a big following like that. They make, I, I didn't say make a, make a, do a campaign. I didn't say 
make five posts for me. I didn't say do an interview with me. Make a post on their social media. They get paid millions of dollars. That is the power of social media today. So let me ask you a question. Is it possible with today's time, um, with people trying to find all these ways to make money and start businesses, is it possible in today's time for people to, their businesses to survive without social media? What's your opinion on that? Um, I'm not talking about like the a traditional like trucking, you know, uh, those type of industries. I'm talking about like selling products and services. I think if you, if you are surviving, you, you, it's, it'll be dying out shortly yeah. because everybody is on social media. COVID-19 has forced everybody to be looking on social media. A lot more people are tapping into social media. The youth are not watching TV. Well, the youth that I know aren't watching TV as much. They're on their iPads. They're on the game. So um, even if there are those who still watching, the youth is on Roblox. The youth is on the iPads. Yeah. The youth is on these phones understanding technology. So what they're going to be watching is going to be on this technology as they get older. So if you want to have a long-lasting business, you want to and need to tap in on social media because people are like the, the BET Award, the BET Awards, the DMX Funeral yesterday. I didn't watch that on TV. I watched that on BET's YouTube channel. When the fight night is on, I'm not watching that on necessarily always on Showtime. And if I am watching on Showtime, I'm watching it on my phone or I'm looking on Facebook trying to find a secret link somebody got or something like that. So everybody's mm-hmm. already always online. So if you're not living online, as Brother Young Khan would say, LOL no longer means laugh out loud. I mean living online. If you're not living online, man, it's to the point where, and I'm going to get into this in the digital real estate program with Slice, but people are literally buying digital land, bro, online for millions of dollars, six figures. I'm talking about digital Land. I'm talking about they got mortgages now. They got they people are renting digital land from people who own digital land at this point. If you're not caught up, if you're not understanding that VR is on the way, is here, but it's going to be more accepted in the future. If you're not understanding that the AR is here, if you're not getting into this technology that the youth is already being bred to learn through Roblox, through Fortnite, they already kind of being groomed to understand this world. When they get to that point, they're going to be so more advanced. And as the minister said, if you're not down to the modern time, if you don't understand modern equipment, you're going to be left behind. So if you don't have a business online, you definitely need to get your Instagram, a Facebook, a YouTube. And if you're not going to be the one on camera, find somebody, hire somebody yep. to be there because that's why everybody yep. is looking. I don't I don't know the last time I've taken somebody's business card. I don't remember the last time I've given one out. It's always check out my Instagram, check out my Facebook, check out my YouTube. And the, and the business card that I did have, they not in here no more because I threw them away. They was just filling up my wallet. I didn't look at now one of them. But if you give me your Instagram, I check out your Instagram. And if your Instagram is appealing to me, then I check you out. So, um, of course, we don't have all the time today to show them all the many ways that they can make money online to be able to get into properties or other assets that they want. So where where could they go? Easy uh, um, to to learn. I have an ebook called Fifty Ways uh, to Do for Self online 50 ways to build your businesses online these are all different streams of income that you can have uh it doesn't matter if you want to be on camera off the camera on the scene off the scene you can go to www.digitalforreal.com hopefully the team will put it up on the screen for you www.digital the number four real.com and it's literally only two dollars and i got a uh i got a secret for you 
if you go through this link right here, there's a private link that will give you access to BWO at, I think, 60% off. So I think that's a link that you guys want to go to, www.digital4real.com. So, family, you got it. This is ABS Brothers. I'm Jake Taylor Jacobs. My name is Brother Ben X. We'll see you later. Peace. Peace. So here's what people got to understand. That you thought I was going to hit it, right? So what you got to understand is that even if you've been playing golf for a very long time, maybe 20, 15, 30 years, everybody always takes a practice swing. Because what you have to understand is that in business, you can always have your mechanics off to where you're not going to hit it right. So the same thing is business just as you're taking golf. You got to take your time. And the best way you can learn how to take your time is in BWO. Because in BWO, we teach you all the strategies that you need in order for you to take your business to the next level.